the spirit that we have in the room today is just um, it's sweet. And sometimes when we strip some things away and we have this opportunity just to kind of um, be quiet in some ways, even though the songs that we play today you know, aren't really necessarily quiet songs, um, but they're done in a quiet way that quiets our heart and it allows us to, to see and hear his voice in new ways. And um, today we are going to start a series, um, uh, we'll have several different people sharing with you, um, but it's called Church with a Vision, Nick mentioned that earlier, and we're going to have three different parts to it, um, three things that a church with a vision should have or be looking towards, and that's to welcome all, to love all, and to serve all. And uh, vision is incredibly important, and I remember when I got my glasses, um, I, I didn't have them as a child, I knew it was coming. Okay, so like I'm the only person in my family for like several generations at that point who had, didn't have four eyes. And so, um, you know, I, I knew they were coming and I wasn't expecting what happened though. And I remember um, I was with uh, the other youth pastor that I was a counterpart with and we were coming back from Atlanta and I said, hey man, we, we're passing right where I got to pick up my glasses. Would you mind going in here and grab, let me grab them real quick? He's like, yeah, sure, whatever. And um, I went in and picked up this, you know, this little black box. They were super cool Ray-Ban, you know, hipster glasses. And um, so I pulled them out of the box. And I remember the first time I, I took them out and I, I put them on my face. And all of a sudden, everything was different. I mean, everything was different. And um, I, I mean, it's not like I didn't know how to get to the bathroom in my house you know, I could, I could find my way to the kitchen, obviously. Um, you know, there was no issue with, like, not being able to know where I was going or any of this kind of stuff. I could see, but I didn't know all the things that I had been missing. And I remember walking my dog and, you know, down this cart path in Peachtree City, which is just ridiculous anyway. But um, I'm walking down this, and I remember looking at this tree that I had seen all the time because my dog liked to stop there. And um, thinking holy cow, that tree has bark. Like, I didn't know it already, but I could see things that I didn't see before. And vision has that, that opportunity for us. When we, um, when we take a look at this, and you guys probably in school or at work, there's vision statements, mission statements plastered all over the place. It's, you know, we, we love to do that kind of stuff, and we need to do that kind of stuff because it puts it in front of us on a regular basis, and we can see these things and remember these things because we see them all the time. And um, sometimes we get them confused, a vision statement with a mission statement. A mission statement is more about who you are and why you exist to do certain things. And a vision statement is where in the foreseeable future are we heading with what we do? And how, does the, how do we go about doing that? And um, so these things change over time. Vision statements will change. And so you might, we might have had one at one point in time and somebody else, you know, changes it or something along those lines. But what we, we end up with is this, this idea or this pathway or these set of glasses that now change the way that we see what we do. And, um, and so as we talk about a church with a vision, I, I just, I want to put that picture in your mind of like taking off the old prescription that, that maybe you've had for a while and saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop this new prescription on my eyes and see what I see now and refocus my life in a way, refocus our church in a way that we can, we can move forward. You know, Scripture talks to this in Proverbs 29. It says, without a vision, the people perish or the people cast off restraint. So people know what they're doing, but at some point, without knowing where you're going, 
you just end up wandering around in the wilderness for a long time. So here we are. We start church with a vision. And this morning, though, is a vision of welcoming all. And so we're going to look at a piece of scripture um, from chapter 15 of the book of Romans. Um, if you have your Bible app or if you have your Bible, um, I think, did we get it up on the screen? That's because Nick is awesome. Okay. So we're going we're gonna to be here in a minute, um, but I want to give us some background because um, starting right at the end of Romans is, is crazy. All right. So without having some idea of what Romans has been talking about the whole time, we're almost in the last chapter. This is the end of the theological part of Romans. And so without kind of giving us some background, some context to sit on, um, it doesn't do, do much for us. Now, Rome, of course, where Paul, the writer of this, is writing to, is the center of power in the world that he's in. It's a Gentile nation, and Paul is the first really true apostle that's going to be preaching to the people in Rome and around the world. Everybody else has been primarily reaching out to the Jews and the Hebrew people, and Paul kind of changes the, the script on this, and he goes, you know what, God has really called me past the Jewish people and into the Gentile nations. And uh, this book of Romans is his, like, theological treatise, okay? He's, he's going to lay out what he believes about faith and what he believes about righteousness, and that's really what it's based upon is, is God's righteousness and the unrighteousness of humanity and how God has made us righteous through Christ and how we actually live out that practically in the world around us. And where, that last portion, how we live out that practically, is, is where what we're going to talk today is going to be landing with. So um, in the first 11 chapters of the book, this, this last part, this practical theology starts in chapter 12. First 11 chapters, he's laying out all that foundational understanding of how we're made right with God. And then he starts in, in chapter 12. And it starts with this, this uh, beautiful um, imagery of being a living sacrifice. And if, we, if you're familiar and been in church for a while, you kind of heard this, that Paul encourages us to be a living sacrifice. To, that's our spiritual act of worship. And that we do our best that we can over time, to day by day, every moment that we can, lay ourselves on an altar in a living kind of way instead of a death way. We put to death our old nature and we take on a new nature. And he moves into talking about spiritual gifts and things that we can do to help in the church. He asks us to live in unity and to live in harmony. And as a musician, this was um, something that just kind of popped out to me that I hadn't seen as I was reviewing through this, is this idea of, of unity and harmony. And we actually experienced it this morning in, in music. And these are, these are terms that we, we use in music a lot. But Nick, Nick spent most of the morning speaking by himself, or singing by himself, which would be a unison type of thing, alone, solo, okay? But then... Um, his wife comes up, Neely, and it starts this other song where she's singing, and then you hear this piece of harmony come in where Nick's back behind her, and the music opens up, and there's a richness to it that is not experienced just alone. It's okay. You know, everything's good when we're all on the, on the same, in the same line in the same place, but there's a richness that opens up when we experience the openness of that. And so, you know, we, we live as one in unity, but we recognize the things that are different about all of us. Some of that, you know, we have racial issues that create different cultures. Um, we talked about this in youth group just a couple, I guess last Sunday night, we talked about what it is, you know, not to, not to be the same, but to be one. And that the richness of that, that comes from that, the knowing that the cultural differences and everything that happens in that changes the way we view one another. Um, nationalities come into play, income comes into play, marital statuses and work types, whether you're blue collar or white collar or something in between. Um, 
political parties, Coke or Pepsi, Chick-fil-A or, or Popeye's chicken. I mean, uh, there's these types of things. There's the richness of sometimes I want some Popeye's chicken. Sorry. You know, it is the way it goes. And life is good. And it makes us feel expanded in that kind of way. So we live in unity. We have the same message, but we live also in harmony and we experience the greatness of that. He asks us to live in peace, to feed the hungry, to give drink to the thirsty, to overcome good with evil. He reminds us to accept those whose faith is weaker than our own without passing judgment on them. And then we get this sobering reminder that one day we will give an account of our own actions to God. And that's the the beginning of this section that we, we see on what it means to practically live out righteousness in the world. And it's with that foundation of responsibility, the calling of love and unity and peace and acceptance and servants that we end up here at the beginning of chapter 15, which is up here. It says this, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Now this little spot here is a quote from Psalm 69. And, um, and Paul is going to continue in verse 4 to say forever, whatever is written in former days, and that's what he's talking about. He's quoting something there um, for instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. But this psalm is a psalm of David, and it talks about the suffering of, of the Christ. And it's looked at as a foreshadowing of that, a, a, a prophecy towards Christ is coming. And that sometimes um, hope comes, but it comes through this suffering that we, we walk through, and it's hard. And we get to verse 5, and it says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when I read this, I was like, man, this is, this is thick. That the, the God of endurance and an encouragement. As I started to think about it, though, and started looking at these words, I was like, man, this is such a great, such a great way to look at God. These two things together, they are, they are the harmony of who he is, the capacity of something to last, this endurance, his ability to stay the same no matter what, this act of giving support or confidence and hope, this encouragement that our world so desperately needs. I mean, the level of the anxiety that we experience in our lives is off the charts, and hope is, in so many ways, seems like a distant thing to us in the world that we live in today. But it's there, and it's in the heartbeat of who God is that he can endure. He lasts forever. His love endures forever. I say that all the time, and I have to keep telling myself that all the time. And this hope that he has is there all the time. We live in harmony with each other, but we also live in accord with Christ Jesus. And here comes the stupid dad joke. It's not a Honda Accord. Yeah, I got from one of the students in the back, I got up. There you go. Yeah, stupid dad joke. But it's not a Honda Accord. No, it is Accord. And this is a word we don't really use very much. But when we live in accord with somebody, we live in an agreement. 
We live in like a treaty almost where we've given power to somebody and we've, we've worked out a deal with each other. And this is, this is what's happened is that this God who endures and encourages and gives us hopes, he has worked out this deal in our hearts that he's going to exchange his life and in turn, he's going to give us righteousness and hope and peace and love. And he sets all this together for the, the, the idea and the purpose that as one, we might glorify God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That there's nothing in our hearts that comes towards us. Remember what he said, we don't do this for, we don't take care of the weak for our own benefit, but we do it for their own, their building up, their edification. That's what Christ did for us. And then we get to verse 7, which um, has this word at the very beginning, beginning, excuse me, the beginning of it. This word called therefore. Again, another word that we don't use a lot. But whenever you see something like this in Scripture, we've had, it's like an equation. You've had all this stuff that's been building up here from using your gifts and living in harmony and living in unity and being peaceful and taking care of people and serving and giving. And all of this comes down to this spot and it's saying, hey, just all this stuff just like Jesus and therefore. It's like the equal sign in the middle of the equation. And at that point he says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And so when we sit here and we talk about welcoming all and what it means to welcome people and to welcome them as Christ has welcomed us, we come up with some thoughts about that. When we welcome somebody, we don't ignore them. We don't treat them as if they they don't exist. We show value to them. We recognize them for who they are, their background, where they're at, what they've been through, the situations that they've been in. We don't don't ignore them. We don't treat them as if they're not there. We greet someone with friendship. We show them warmth. We give them the opportunity to be safe and to be whole. And then we gladly receive them to ourselves. These are the things that make up the definition of the word welcome. Someone who's not ignored, somebody who greets in friendship someone who gladly receives somebody else and showing them hospitality and showing them the, our ability to, to put them in a place of comfort. And we do these things because Christ didn't ignore us. Even in our sin and the things that we had going on in our lives, he didn't ignore us. We do these things because Christ, he called us a friend, he even called us family. Even in the, the sin and the depravity of who we were. Christ received us. He forgave us even though we were a mess. Um, I don't know how many of y'all are familiar with a place called the Brooklyn Tabernacle. Um, if, you, if you like mass choir music, um, they have probably one of the best choirs on the planet. And um, there's a guy named Jim Cimbala and he is the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, and he has been for a long time. Um, he and his wife went to that church, um, like I said, a long, it's been like 30 years ago now. And they had about 20 people in their, in their congregation at the time. 
and it's not about numbers for them or, or for even this talk or anything along those lines, but thousands of people go to the Brooklyn Tabernacle every Sunday now in the, in the heart of Brooklyn, New York. And Joseph, excuse me, Jim Cimbala tells this story, um, and you can find it online really easily if you look him up, about this Easter Sunday along the lines in, in, a, in a while back in their, in their existence. And that Easter Sunday, he had preached a whole bunch of services already, um, like three or four services. He was tired. And um, so he had a kind of a habit of going and sitting down on the edge of the stage after this last service. And while people were praying or things that were kind of happening in the church as things were shutting down, he would just sit there and let his legs dangle and, and hang out and chill. And, you know, I've, I've worked in churches where I've had to preach three services in a row. And by the last one, those people didn't get a good message. I'm just going to be honest with you. You were worn out, tired. So I can't imagine four or five, you know, or however many he had to do. But, um, you know, he was sitting there and he was tired. And, and it's right in the heart of Brooklyn. And at that time, he talks about, you know, they had a lot of people who would come into their church and panhandle in the church during service, um, trying to get people to give them money. And they had policies about this and how to handle it and all this kind of stuff. And he said as he was sitting there, he looked in about four or five rows back, you know, right about where Ryan is, is sitting right now. You know, there was this man who, um, who was disheveled, you know, a homeless man. And he had his, his hat, this nasty hat he describes, and he's holding it in his hands, and he's just kind of standing there. And um, for a moment, they locked eyes. And he knew in those moments that this man wanted to come and talk to him. And, um, and so he's sitting there and he's thinking in his mind, I'm so tired. I don't want to deal with this. I don't even care about the policies that we have. Um, he said, I know I've got four or five bucks in my wallet. I know that's what this guy wants. And so he, he kind of motioned him to come forward. And as he was pulling out the money and he, the man's standing in front of him. But as he gets closer to him, he, he starts to describe what this smell is like. And this man had slept the night before on the streets and had soiled himself during that time. He was an addict. And this smell preceded this man, not just by a little bit, but by like six to eight feet. The smell is there before, and it's just, it's pungent. And so um, he still calls the man to come forward, and he's, he's literally struggling is what he's talking about. And he he pulls out the money and he's just getting ready to hand him the money and the guy puts his hand out and pushes his hand down with the money and says, I don't want your money. He said, I want this Jesus that I just heard your choir sing. He said, I was outside asleep and they woke me up and I came inside because of what I heard. And Jim Cimbala, you know, he's a pastor of thousands of people in a Grammy Award-winning church choir church. He's famous, written books. And he'll sit there in this video, if you go and watch, and talk about the brokenness he felt in that moment. Because he realized that the issue, the, the, the nasty smell that was in the room was not this man, but his own heart. In, in the midst of that, this guy had come and all he wanted to do was hand him a few bucks when he really wanted Christ. And so in these moments, he has this, this embrace with this man, a man, you know, when he realizes it, he just kind of falls into his arms and 
He's hugging this man, and they're rocking back and forth, realizing, you know, he led him to the Lord in those moments. But as he's holding this man, he hears God speak to him. And this is the quote from what he says. And he said, this is what God said to him. He said, you see that smell? If you don't love that smell, I can never use you. Because the whole world smells that way to me. All the stinking, filthy sin of mankind, I sent my son to die for that smell. So you're either going to embrace it and love people in my name, or I can't use you. I'll put you on the shelf. And I remember hearing that as a young man. Because I've experienced that smell. Um, I've had the opportunity over the years to work in homeless shelters, and it was one of the things that led me to the Lord as a, as a young man, um, that opportunity. I've had lots of encounters with people that um, would, the world would call in lovely, who have been the most lovely people I've ever met. And I, I remembered when I heard this, and I was reviewing it again this week, just Um, In the book of Leviticus, it talks about the worship of the people, and they would bring the sacrifices to God, and they would lay them on an altar, and they would burn them. And it says, an aroma rising to the Lord, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. And I've had this thought of my mind of this man who came in, like this this idea of this, this stench that comes up to heaven probably from our world on a regular basis. And then we make these sacrifices. We live as a living sacrifice. And the aroma starts to go to God. And it's pleasing to him. So I've worked in a bunch of different churches. Five different churches, uh, full-time, five different denominations. I've been a part of eight different churches, and I've, I've kind of been around a bit. And um, I wanted to tell you about two churches that I've been a part of as, uh, as I kind of wrap things up today. And, and the first one is the church that I grew up in. And it was not a church very unlike ours, you know, in any kind of way. I mean, it was a traditional church. Um, it kind of made our tradition, traditional service look like contemporary services. I mean, we basically had everything but the incense. And... Um, you know, it was, uh, it was serious. And um, I grew up there as in choirs and everything along those lines. And when I'm kind of a second generation youth pastor, my, my dad was a youth delay, lay director. And, um, and so I grew up, you know, getting fat in the back of the room, eating chips and cookies left over while the big kids were up front doing their thing. And, and um, you know, I just, I'd wanted nothing more than to be in youth group my entire childhood. And so seventh grade came along and our church was struggling. And uh, there was some division between our pastors. And, um, you know, it was, it was serious. So serious that our, our senior associate pastor had each had a lectern, one a pulpit and a lectern. And on fourth Sundays, our associate would, would preach. And so they would switch sides. And so would the church. People would move from one side to the other side to sit in front of the pastor that they supported. And, um, you know, my dad wasn't the youth director any longer, and that associate pastor had, um, had become the leader of that church, uh, the youth ministry. And, and um, I, uh, 
I was in seventh grade and it was time for me to go to youth group. And, and so I started going and, um, but I never really kind of found my click, you know, or found my, my way to, to, to fall into place there. And mostly because my, my family was uh, friends with the senior pastor. And we ended up in a really difficult position um, in that place. And, and even to the point where um, this thing that I'd wanted my whole life, you know, at that point, I went to the youth group on one, at one Sunday night as a, as a seventh grader, and um, they, a couple of the older boys, who I, this I thought was going to be awesome because they asked me, me and a friend to come stand outside on the back stoop and talk for a second. And I thought, man, this is cool. An older kid wants to talk to me. And instead they said, hey, listen, you know, maybe this isn't the best place for you to come. And I found myself on the outside of a place I was supposed to be on the inside of. And I also found myself with the things that I had dreamed about, desired to have in my life, taken from me in a moment. By the grace of God, I found myself in a different youth group at a different church. My parents made me go to church. I'm just going to tell you, parents in the room, make your kids go to church. You're the parent, make them go. Because you never know the day it's all going to click. But I found, found myself in a place that gave me the opportunity that welcomed me, and I found, found my relationship with Christ. And I realized this week that um, 2019 is, is an interesting year for me. I've been in youth ministry for 25 years as of June this past, past year. Um, I started teaching in middle school, Sunday school class when I was 18 years old. Um, and that was my first position working in youth ministry. But also this Sunday, today, or close to today, um, October 15th of 1989, after this situation, I gave my heart to Jesus at an altar. So 30 years ago, basically today. And I was welcomed into a place that, that loved me. Now, I want you to know about this church number one that we're going to talk about, that God did some amazing things and healed a lot of things in that church. And it still exists today, but it was hard work. And this glory that God is supposed to get when we welcome people, this glory that he's supposed to have when, when we represent Christ and we didn't happen in that place for a long time. Now, church number two that I want to share with you very quickly was a church that Kelly and I attended in, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And um, we, uh, we ended up in this church, and I left a position that I had been in, and, and we ended up just attending this church, and then I ended up kind of working there. Um, they didn't pay me, but I just doesn't work there because I'm a glutton for punishment. And, um, but we had 40 or 50 people, and we met in the YMCA auxiliary gym, and um, we kind of outgrew that space, and we ended up in this, this old church building on the north shore of Chattanooga, up, up the street from Coolidge Park, if you've ever been there. And I don't know if you know much about Chattanooga, but they have a real issue um, there with homelessness. Um, they're one of the largest per capita homelessness in the south. And um, we had uh, a bunch of homeless guys that just started showing up at church because they found out that we had snacks before church. And so they started coming. And then word spread mostly because we started inviting more people from their, their world to come. And it spread, and it spread. And before long, our church was about twice the size that it was. And about half of those people were 
homeless folks that came to our church. And it was one of the most beautiful things that we've ever experienced because you walk into that church and homeless people were ushers and homeless people were greeters and they served communion and the only things clean on them were from down, here down because they washed their hands to give you bread in the cup. And it didn't smell pretty. But man, man, it felt like Jesus in that place. So this morning, as we are just coming to a close here, we have this opportunity in front of us on a regular basis, this place that we have to do, to look at and say, the people that walk through our doors, the people that are already here, the people that are coming from our community, the people that we walk day by day with, to greet them with friendship, to not ignore them, to gladly receive them and therefore give the example of Christ and the glory of Christ to them, that they could come and be part of a family, that we have this, this beautiful relationship with the God of the universe available to them. And so when we talk about a vision, we talk about changing our glasses and changing something in front of us. If we will look at our hearts and say, when are the times that we, we don't do this? When we don't greet people with friendship, when we, don't, when we ignore folks, when we don't gladly receive people. We give God a chance to change our hearts so that we can in turn bring his glory to this world around us. Just imagine for a second what this place could look like, what our community would look like, what your home might look like or your school or your work if we would welcome all. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you that you have welcomed us in all the things that we smell so bad. God, we stink of this world so often. And you still wrap your arms around us and embrace us and love us and give us the chance to see and know how good you are. And God, we pray that in these moments as we have to reflect on what it means to follow you, that you would open our hearts to the people around us who so desperately need an embrace, not from us, but from you. God, help us to see with your eyes. Help us to welcome others as you have welcomed us. As these things in your holy name. In the name of Jesus, we pray.